Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Asher Marketing Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Asher Agency, a full-service marketing agency with offices in Indiana, West Virginia, and Washington, D.C. For nearly 50 years, Asher has helped our clients tell their stories, reach customers and prospects, and stand out from the crowd. To learn more about how we can help your company, visit asheragency.com or contact us at hello at asheragency.com. Hello, everyone. My guest is Selena Scardina. Selena, how are you doing? I'm great, Anthony. How are you? I'm doing great. The last time I saw you, you were an award nominee for the Champions of Change Awards. So tell me, how did you get nominated for such a thing? And what was that all about? What the, what's, what's the story with that? So Greater Fort Wayne, Inc. here in town has always driven a lot of change. Mm -hmm. And since we've moved to Fort Wayne 10 years ago, I realized it was a huge opportunity to become a community leader, but then also help add to the change in the community. So my husband nominated me for the Champion of Change Award, which really helps advocate for women in the area of Allen County. Well, that's great. That's awesome. Because you have, in addition to all the stuff we're going to get to in your work life, you've been board chair for the Y, the YMCA, for how long now? I've been part of the Y for almost seven years yeah. and a board chair for the last two years. Okay. All right. And you're involved in some other nonprofit work too, correct? Yeah. Previously, I was part of the WBOI mm -hmm. uh, Public Radio yep. here, and I served on that board. Historically, I've worked for years on the Society of Consumer Affairs Professional Board uh -huh. of Directors, okay. which is an international organization. Uh, I volunteered through Junior Achievement, Latinos Count, really uh, where I can make a difference and find the time to really give back to the community. Oh, well, that's great. Well, and congratulations again on that nomination. Very well deserved. Thank All you. Right. So let's talk about your career path, because I'm super interested. You and I have known each other for a while, but I don't know that I've ever heard the whole backstory. So if, if you wouldn't mind, start with what you were thinking about in terms of careers. When did you start thinking about, here's what I might want to do, where did you go with that, and was it a straight line to where you are today, or did it take twists and turns along the way? Uh, definitely not a straight line. <laughs> yeah. And I'd have to say probably not a defined line either. Uh -huh. So at a very young age, I realized that to open doors and to achieve in this world, I needed an education. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is my mom, amazing woman, worked in a factory, single uh, parent to three children. Mm -hmm. And she encouraged us all to look at education or some sort of skill mm -hmm. to be able to grow our careers. So I was the first one my family to go to college. Okay. Didn't quite know where I wanted to be uh, in the world of business, but just knew it was going to be business. Mm -hmm. At that point, there was not a term called customer experience. Yeah. And I was uh, building computers, uh, 386 computers, doing programming, <laughs> working in DOS and BASIC. And there wasn't a STEM program. They yeah. probably thought, who's that strange girl who spends her weekends <laughs> programming? Yeah. But I just was always excited about business. Mm -hmm. And my brother, my sister, and I started a lawn maintenance business when okay. I was a teenager. And you grew up in Chicago area? Grew up in correct? Chicago, yep. born and raised in Chicago. Um, I'll have to tell you, I grew up more on the south side, mm -hmm. so I was the Sox fan. Uh -huh. okay. Met my husband, who grew up on the north side, so you know who won that battle. Yeah, we, for sure. For we are sure. now Cubs fans. <laughs> 
So first one of my family to graduate from college, and uh, I started to have this interest in technology, so I started to teach uh, college courses mm-hmm. in the evening, and through the daytime, I worked in the plastics industry for mm-hmm. five years, realized after working in that industry that I wanted to do something a little bit different. Mm-hmm. So I was lucky to join McDonald's Corporation as a consultant, and they needed somebody to help teach the team's email. So that's going to date me back. Yeah. yeah. So email. Well, if 386. Didn't already. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, actually joined McDonald's Corporation and I realized what an amazing organization it was. And not only were there women in leadership positions, mm-hmm. but there was so much opportunity for growth. Mm. So I actually worked at McDonald's for 15 years. Okay. So the, so the connection there was you had taught at a community college. You knew more than most about the world of computers and technology, which was then sort of a growing field. So they said, we're going to combine those talents and put you in front of other people and and put you in learning and development, basically. Is that how that all came together? Very close. I did a couple of years in investor relations. Uh So before joining the customer experience and service teams, I worked in investor relations. And both of those departments, uh, and I highly encourage individuals who are looking for entry roles Mm -hmm. into great companies to consider roles like that because you learn so much Mm -hmm. about Mm -hmm. a company from their investor side, Mm -hmm. of course, and a lot of public information, but also from the customer side where you can see and hear all operational Mm -hmm. things of the organization and learn a lot. And then from there, you can springboard. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you're at McDonald's. You're doing some training in email. Here's how you use email. How does that evolve while you're at McDonald's and where do you go after that? So... One of the exciting things about that time in my career is the concepts of CRM. Mm -hmm. And this is long before companies like Salesforce were well known. And there was an opportunity to really work close around the U.S. customer experience. Mm -hmm. So um, to be on the forefront of some of the uh, processes and some of the automation around that was exciting. 15 years at McDonald's, uh, I feel like I've really got my base in business Mm -hmm. around that organization, Hamburger University. Mm -hmm. Also, I got my MBA at that point mm-hmm. at Benedictine there in Lyle, Illinois. And at that point, I said, what's next? Mm-hmm. So I felt like I had been through the one of the best companies in the world. Was there an opportunity to do something different? Yeah. At the same point, uh, we were looking to adventure out. I made a list of seven companies, and okay. on that list was Vera Bradley. So what was it about Vera Bradley that was interesting to you? First, it was uh, female-founded, uh-huh. so co-founders are both female. They had yep. just gone public, yep. and based on my experience in uh, investor relations, okay. I love listening to earnings calls, huh. and I love being huh. part of business growth. Yeah. I met the team here. We looked on the map and said, where's Fort Wayne, Indiana? <laughs> yeah. And uh, I joined the team in 2012, okay. right after they went public. Oh, wow. Okay. So what was that experience like working for Vera Bradley, a large company, but having come from an even larger company? So sometimes you look at an organization and you ask yourself, do you hold the organization up or do they hold you up? Mm. And what I mean by that is you should be contributing to a company, but they should also be contributing to your growth. So I felt very prepared after those years Mm -hmm. at McDonald's in Chicago to come to Fort Wayne. But what I wasn't prepared for 
was this aspect of community. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I had never felt that sense of community, belonging, this idea that our neighbors are interested in our success as Mm -hmm. much as we're interested in Mm -hmm. theirs. Mm -hmm. And Pat and Barb, both of Vera Bradley, just had set a trajectory for women leadership. And that is where I think I really grew a lot around understanding what this other opportunity in business is around the relationship. Yeah. So is this, am I correct that this is around the time when Vera Bradley goes public, that it also is now opening retail stores and doing things that it never done, which obviously are highly dependent upon customer experience? Yes, that's exactly the time. And so the similarities between McDonald's and Vera mm-hmm. Bradley at that time, think about it, are very entrepreneurial. Yeah. Risk-taking, mm-hmm. doing things that have never been done in the marketplace, yeah. right? Yeah. Challenging what others are doing. So that's what really intrigued me about uh, being in that company. Yeah, okay. So how long are you at Vera Bradley and where do you go from there? So I was at Vera Bradley for about four years and then um, I got a call from uh, this organization called Sweetwater Sound. So mm-hmm. my thought was if I left Vera Bradley, I would probably leave Fort Wayne because I wasn't as familiar with the opportunities. Mm-hmm. So I got to meet Chuck Rock, John Hopkins of Sweetwater Sound, and I said, look at this amazing organization mm-hmm. just <laughs> literally yeah. on the other side yeah. of, of town. And they're the largest online e-commerce pro audio music instrument company in mm-hmm. the United States. Yeah. And they had this incredible focus on service mm-hmm. and as a business driver. So I got to meet the organization there. I was lucky to join their team as the first female executive as SVP of customer experience. And I threw myself into learning everything I could about this technical industry yeah. of pro audio. Yeah. Now, did you have one of the things, I don't, I don't know a lot of people who work at Sweetwater, but almost everyone I know comes from a music background. Did you have any of that, or was that all brand new to you? Uh, I'd have to say about 15 years of poor piano playing skills, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but both of our children um, play piano. Okay. Our son, who's 26, continues to play uh, today, but the great thing is that Sweetwater offered Sweetwater University, mm. and so I took the three months of Sweetwater mm-hmm. University, learned everything I could. I could probably sell you most audio equipment here <laughs> yeah. in this room, and really try to understand what the Sweetwater difference was. And it was an incredibly special company, highly dedicated to customers. And it really, to me, is the benchmark for really how companies can use customer service for business growth. Mm. So what was that challenge like coming into a company that was already really good at customer experience and your charges make it better? How did you navigate that? That's a great question because when there's a lot of upside mm-hmm. or there's a baseline that is give you a lot of potential runway, that's a different challenge, like a transformation versus something called enhancements. Mm-hmm. So at Sweetwater, it was looking for those things that could give us incremental customer mm-hmm. experience growth, basis point change around improvement because something's already exceptional. Yeah. But like everything, there a complaint was actually considered a defect. How do you root cause that Mm -hmm. to the very basis of how it happened to prevent that for the future? That's pretty much in the DNA of that company. Interesting. Oh, that's great. So you're at Sweetwater then for how long? And then where do you go from there? So I was at Sweetwater for a couple good years, and I got a call from this company called Haynes Brands, Mm -hmm. and they said, hey, uh, we know that you can drive customer service, experience improvements. Why don't you take a look at our service offering? So I said, do you want me as consultant or employee? They said, how about a a consultant? Mm. So I started my business. So it was a difficult step for me to take, but... 
an important risk around yeah. um, being an entrepreneur. And I started a company called Hero CX mm-hmm. and uh, started my consulting business. And we are now five years well, uh, into consulting. But the concept was very simple. Take the principles of the customer being in the center of the equation mm-hmm. And try to grow around this concept of a customer more on a journey. And you're not the center of the equation, Mm -hmm. but service to the customer Hmm. is. So I've used that for several organizations. um, And I'd have to say that that probably led me to my next career step Mm -hmm. right about the time that the pandemic was starting in March of 2020. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, let's talk about that. I want to come back to the philosophical look at customer experience, but let's keep moving down the career path. So where do you go from there and bridge that to how you end up where you are today? So I needed that client that was going to be the big anchor client Mm -hmm. after Haynes Brands. And I had several other clients in, in between that amazing organizations. And I wanted to work with an Indiana company. Mm-hmm. And Herf Jones here in Indianapolis was looking for a head of customer service. It was early 2020. They asked the same question, consultant or employee. At that point, I said, employee, I really want to be connected to the organization. And I started as their head of customer service. Mm-hmm. The great thing is they had operations around the U.S. I got to get more of my operations chops, which I really missed from my yeah. plastics industry. And then eventually led a lot of the ERP uh, design for a lot of their facilities, got back into a lot of the technology, yeah. and then was promoted to chief customer success officer. Yeah. So I thought that would be it for a bit. <laughs> Then you got a phone call. Then I got a phone call <laughs> from the uh, Secretary of Commerce for the state of Indiana, yeah. Brad Chambers, and he asked if I would be interested in telling the Indiana story, partly because my husband, my myself, our two children have been beneficiaries of the state mm-hmm. in terms of how we've grown our careers. Yeah. I didn't mention my husband is an engineer at Zimmer Biomet. I have one Purdue grad from Fort Wayne. We're working on the other. And I said, thank you, sir, uh, but no. Mm-hmm. He gave me a call back a few months yeah. later and said, would you consider telling this Indiana story? And I said, I think I will. Yeah. So uh, it's been about a year of working with the IEDC, Indiana Economic Development mm-hmm. Corporation. And I realize now that just as what brought me to the state around this idea of community and other success, now I'm challenged around telling the story with my team that brings more opportunity to the state of Indiana. So it's been incredible the past year. Yeah, well, that's that's quite a journey and definitely not a direct line. So tell, tell me a little bit, for people who might not know much about the IEDC, what is the organization, what does it strive to do, and what's your role in that? So the IEDC is essentially the organization that is in the state that's charged with growing the state's economy. But that's kind of complex if you think about it, because that includes attracting workforce and Mm -hmm. talent. Mm -hmm. That includes helping our current businesses expand and grow in the state. And it also includes uh, growing the awareness around the opportunities in the state. When the secretary joined, he created this vision called the 5E vision, right? Mm -hmm. So that is essentially the five E's around his strategic plan. So that includes everything from our built environment, Mm -hmm. the uh, economies of the future and what that looks like, entrepreneurship, also uh, energy transition, and then Mm -hmm. the fifth E being external engagement. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure I got those out of order (laughs) if he happens to listen to this. We can edit them into the right (laughs) order if you'd like, yeah. But that external engagement piece was the one that 
I am leading for the IEDC in terms of telling the Indiana story in a right way that helps others be proud of what we do within the state, mm-hmm. but then others outside of the state that want to be part of this great brand. Yeah. So what is, from your perspective, now that you've had a little bit of time to learn the job and to learn the, the state, what are some of Indiana's key strengths as a, a place to do business, as a place to either start a business, grow a business, or land a business, move a business to? What are some of Indiana's best differentiators? We do have a lot of strengths here. So recently, Forbes ranked us the number one state to start a business. Mm-hmm. And then if you look at businesses that have been in operations, we have a higher success rate that they'll actually stay in business. Mm-hmm. We're in the top four mm-hmm. in the country. But outside of that, it's just a very well-run state. Mm -hmm. And so what that means is that if you look at our balance sheet, uh, like if you did for a business, the state runs really well. A couple other strengths that we have is really this idea of connectedness. Mm -hmm. So we're actually very interested in our businesses and individuals succeeding around us. Mm -hmm. When I first moved here, I thought, wow, everybody is really friendly. So I wasn't used to this idea of folks helping us succeed and what that looked like. But now I see that at scale. Mm -hmm. So we hear very, very commonly that after a commitment to uh, expand in the state or join the state, how easy like our permitting process is. Mm -hmm. So we have almost interagency support, one group working very close with another group or our state leaders working very close with our local and regional leaders. That's not something you see every day. And I think because a lot of folks don't have perspective, they don't realize the benefit of that. So those are some of the strengths that we currently have yeah. in the state. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about your experience in customer service and customer engagement. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this a few different places. You know, there, there's a lot of people who might look at that and say, isn't that just common sense? Isn't it just treating people well and, you know, doing what cu- customers ask you to do? What's your perspective on what customer experience is really all about? And is it really as simple as it sounds, or is it more complex than people might realize? I think customer experience is a little bit more complex, I would have to say, in the inside. But to the outside, to the customer or the receiver, it should be a very simple view. Mm -hmm. One of the things I believe in customer experience is that your customers, those you engage with, actually provide you with the roadmap, mm-hmm. provide you with the details of how to get better and how to use that in your design thinking mm-hmm. to continually iterate to offer something in the marketplace that's new and different and easier to use. Mm-hmm. A lot of folks don't realize that that is the job. Service it actually is the job. And done well, it becomes a differentiator, like I mentioned, for mm-hmm. brands like Sweetwater mm-hmm. and Vera Bradley McDonald's. So how do you transition that to government roles. So the the secretary always likes to say that we're running at the speed of business Mm -hmm. in this in this organization. And I like to say we're actually utilizing the practices of business, the best practices in the work that we do. Right. So customer experience really is the intentional thought of offering something in the marketplace that helps a consumer or a business or an entity complete what they want to in a faster, more efficient and streamlined way. In most cases for businesses, that's growth and trajectory Mm -hmm. in terms of uh, expansion. Yeah. So so part of your job is very familiar to you because it's what you've been doing, but there's other aspects of your job that are somewhat new to you. Can you talk a little bit about that balance? What have you kind of had to learn from the ground up and what's second nature to you in the, in the role that you're in? 
So every job that you're in teaches you something. And mm -hmm. if you're actively listening, like Barbara Bradley Backart taught me early on, be more interested than interesting. Mm -hmm. And what she meant by that was essentially continue to listen, be curious, and then take that and add it to your toolbox. Mm -hmm. So as I walked into this role, immediately I looked at some of the things that I have learned in private business, and I thought pattern recognition. Mm -hmm. I can see how businesses and brands have succeeded and used some of the same principles. Let's apply those mm -hmm. here, mm -hmm. and what that looks like, grow a strong team with really great leaders, create a very strong strategic external engagement plan, and then go to market and execute on it. Okay. All right. So there are some parallels there, there some are. things that you didn't have to learn from the ground up. So what are some of the things specifically that you've been spending your time on that are either top of the to-do list, keeping you up at night, making you excited, maybe a combination of all those things? The things that keep me up at night are the things that I think I understand because I have that perspective. But the Indiana story is an untold story. Mm -hmm. When I moved to Fort Wayne, I remember telling someone, this is the best kept secret mm -hmm. in terms of cost of living, discretionary dollars yep. available, the connectedness with my neighbors, but it goes bigger than that. So if we have individuals, for example, that attend one of our 36 colleges and university or Ivy Tech, our largest community mm -hmm. college system in the United States, and they don't recognize while they're here how they can then stay here, mm -hmm. that's what keeps me up at night. Yeah. We're not telling that story. When we've done our research and our perception work, for the most part, there's not a negative attribution to Indiana. It's just an unknown. Mm -hmm. So how can we take what we're doing really well yeah. and essentially market it yeah. to tell that story? Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny that you mentioned at the outset you were talking about the opportunity in Fort Wayne saying, where's Fort Wayne? I, I say this jokingly, growing up in Massachusetts— when I, you know, decided that I might be moving here, first thing I did was got out a map and I was mm -hmm. like, where is Indiana? Um, and, you know, it's, it's a state that is hard to explain the benefits of if someone hasn't lived here. You have a lot of friends back in Massachusetts and they don't really get it until they come here and they're like, oh, your life is just way easier from a cost of living standpoint, from a commute time standpoint, from, you know, just the quality of life aspects. And I don't know that people appreciate that until they understand that it can be better than maybe where they are today in larger urban areas. And obviously, larger urban areas have their benefits. And, you know, Indianapolis is one of the largest cities in the state. But just the variety in Indiana, I think, is a selling point, too, because whatever type of lifestyle you're looking for, as long as it doesn't involve a coastline, it's probably available to you here. Well, we do have the coastline up at the Indiana Dunes. That is true. That, that is true. So, yeah. And, and, and that's the piece that I think is untold. When we looked at some of the research, with lack of perception or telling the story, individuals just fill in their own story. They mm -hmm. might say, oh, the weather's bad. Mm -hmm. Really, I think I used my snowblower once or twice yeah. this last yeah. year. The weather's very mild, mm -hmm. right? Or, you know, the commute time you brought up. I calculated the other day in one year how many hours I got back in my life mm -hmm. by not being on the road driving. Yeah. And even my drive to Indianapolis, once I'm in Indianapolis at our second home, I spend less time on the road yeah. there than I would typically in an average year. So I think there's a huge opportunity to just tell the story in the right way, but we're heads down. This term humble Hoosiers has come up a couple times. Mm -hmm. We're heads down. We're quiet, high performers. We're getting the job done. We're running our state really, really well. 
But we need to take a minute and kind of write our report card on that yeah. out to the rest of the United States and the globe to know what the opportunity is here. Yeah. So in terms of, of other projects you're working on, you, you just came off a busy weekend, I'm sure, with the Indy 500. What's what's your involvement in that? Motorsports, obviously, is, is a critical industry for Indiana. Is that something that's a lot of intensity, a lot of work on your part, or is it is it maybe a less of a priority along, along the way? So I'm just going to preface this, Anthony, with hard work is part of probably every job. (laughs) If you're looking for a great job with purpose and you want to be comfortable and convenient, sometimes you have to actually do a little bit more than what's required to tell that story. Mm -hmm. But the results are amazing when you do. So this was my first Indy 500. Uh, that I attended, and I'd have to say I was overwhelmed by the number of people mm-hmm. and the almost alignment around the state. There's 300,000 people. I heard this was one of the top record attendance in the top five mm. since the history of the race. Mm. This was the 107th running. And if you could see the camaraderie mm-hmm. and the excitement, this almost joined enthusiasm. It was just incredible being there. The IEDC specifically looks at this time as a moment to showcase all that we do in the state. Mm -hmm. So from visitors and potential business attraction, uh, we're essential to really making sure that folks know this Indiana story. Have you been to the race before? I have not. Okay. You need to put that on your list, (laughs) especially because you are now here from Massachusetts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of people have told me that. And, you know, to your point, it's certainly, you know, motorsports industry, but there's a there's a hospitality industry aspect, there's a technology industry aspect, and a lot of supporting industries that both benefit from the race being in Indiana and who help make it what it is that are sort of underappreciated. Um, but seeing that firsthand, I'm sure, is is pretty interesting. Had you been before this year? Was it the first time you'd been? Well, this was the first time that I attended, yeah. and partly because it was just an unknown. Oh, so sure. Yeah. We're huge motorsports fans, mm-hmm. right? So we have been to Le Mans races. Okay. We've been to other races. We watch a lot of Formula One, now Formula E, now with the Indy Autonomous Challenge. But what's interesting about the motorsports industry, it is highly technical. Mm-hmm. And there's innovation that happens in this industry that then transfers over yep. to aviation, to yep. defense, to other industries. Most of that was grown here in mm-hmm. our state. I mean, we have an incredible legacy yeah. of racing and innovation around that. Did you know that the fuel pump was actually designed here in Indiana. I had no idea. And there's probably hundreds of more patented and yep. innovative things that just come out of the motorsports industry just in the last few years. Yeah. It's it's pretty incredible to see that. Plus, yeah. the cars go really fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And plus, it's fun. Yeah. So with that now in the rearview mirror, so to speak, what's, what's ahead? What are some of the things you're looking at that are on your plate? in the near term that are are big projects that you're trying to move forward with your team? Telling the story in a global and U.S. and local way is an important piece. So we're looking at Indiana as a brand, and a great brand deserves great branding. Mm -hmm. So uh, in 2022, we had the Global Economic Summit, Mm -hmm. and this was attended by over 300 different organizations across multiple countries that were interested in understanding Indiana as a thought leader and convener of the economy, essentially, around a summit with that. It was so well attended. We're getting very, very excited about what we're going to do in 2024 Mm -hmm. around this. Also, we have several different events planned across 
the United States in terms of telling that story. Uh, one of the things we're very excited about, we do uh, a partnership with the IBJ where we go around the state and it's called the Engage Series. Yep. And we share kind of our momentum and our wins um, locally combined with what that area of Indiana is also celebrating. Yeah. So that's extremely exciting. But one of the things I get most excited about is the Ready opportunity. Mm -hmm. So if you're not familiar with Ready, essentially it is investment across 17 regions of the Indiana state, up to $50 million in each region mm -hmm. for quality of life and quality of place in initiatives. With the public-private philanthropic match, that half of billion dollars, $500 million has turned into $8 billion. Oh, wow. Well, our legislators have agreed to allow the IEDC to do this yet again. So we have another half a million dollars, half, half a billion dollars coming out that will be another $8 billion in match. Think wow. about the trails, the parks, yep. the YMCA, the skill readiness programs. Mm -hmm. Very, very excited about Ready 2.0 and what that will look like. Well, and it's such an important piece because you can have all the business development in the world, but if you don't have that quality of place, people won't want to live here. And They'll want to take their business elsewhere. So it's really, I think it's it's prescient to say, okay, we're going to attend to the economic side of it, make sure there's good jobs, make sure there's job growth and business growth, but also when people are off the clock that they have a great place to live and they're not being attracted, you know, to move to another state because of quality of life. Yeah. And if you didn't know that quality of life is here, and if you yeah. didn't know the type of jobs that we're attracting, so we're very, very deliberate in the companies that we attract. And it's probably a little bit of a myth around the IEDC in terms of the businesses that we go after. But we do have a essentially what we call a deal scorecard where we go through and decide what is this business and do we want them yeah. and track them in the state. So this is why the economy of the future is so important. But when we attract those uh, roles and those types of jobs, what that means to Hoosiers mm. is really more money in their pocket. Yeah. So give, I'll give you an example of the 28,000 jobs we attracted or grew this last year, that average wage of those jobs means that those Hoosiers will have $1,000 more each month hmm. in their pocket. Wow. So yeah. that could be life-changing oh, sure. or trajectory-changing for several uh, individuals, you know, who, who attain those jobs. Yeah, yeah. That's a great story. So now you just have to tell it. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. That's right. All right. Well, let's pivot to some more quick-hit questions, um, and these will recap some of the things we've discussed. But first, I want to ask you about your career path, what you've learned along the way. You've done some different things. You've worked for some very large organizations. Um, what are some of the things you've taken away from that? What's your best advice when it comes to building a successful, fulfilling career? I think that my best advice would be to do the job that you're in very, very well mm -hmm. and be very curious about it, even if it's not the job that you actually want. Mm. So I've had some very interesting jobs over my career. You know, I really wanted to teach college during mm. those pivotal years mm -hmm. of, I'd have to say, going into uh personal computing mm -hmm. without mm -hmm. going too back into the future. <laughs> yeah. So to do that, the only class I, I could get into uh, to teach at that point was English as a second language filing mm -hmm. class in a business program. So I did that, knowing that I wanted to design the curriculum for computer science or uh, business management. So yeah. that opened the door. I did a really exceptional job in that. And then I was able to achieve those other uh, curriculum type classes that I wanted to be part of. Every job that I've had, I've learned something and there's always great things about a job and things you would want to improve. But at the end of the day, if you're contributing, that is the job, right? Yeah, yeah. And then if you're curious enough and you do a 
very great job in that. Another door will open, yeah. and that could lead to something else. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. And it, you know, one of the things that I've been taught about leadership is you don't wait to exhibit leadership potential until you're in a leadership position. You start exhibiting the potential in every job you have, and that's when people identify you as capable and move you into those slots. You know, a, a lot of times, you know, I've worked with younger people who will say, you know, how do I get to, you know, the next job? And the answer is always the same. It's do the job you have well. Do even the really mundane parts of the internship or the entry-level job well, and that's how you're going to get on the path. You don't want to get complacent by any means, but I think there's a lot of wisdom in that, is just being the doing the best job you can with the position you're in, knowing that that's how you're going to prove you're capable of doing something else. Yeah, because every single day is an interview, Yeah, and I kind of look at it almost as a checkbook, right? I mean, I'm getting paid to do this job. I would like to have more credits, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'd like to give a little bit more to this role and not knowing what that would lead to. The other thing is, it's really unintended sometimes the benefits Mm -hmm. that you'll get from being curious about something that might seem mundane. Uh, I could take a computer apart uh, and I can tell you some of the pieces. I could take your phone apart and I probably couldn't see the millions of transistors Mm -hmm. in there, but I understand the ones and zeros. That's from my basis in understanding the curiosity around personal computing. So really there's so much to learn. And now we live in a point in time where if you don't know something and you're curious, it's literally at your fingertips. But if you don't have that trait of curiosity, sometimes you'll miss the huge opportunity to take advantage of it. Yeah, that's 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 a great point. You have to have the willingness to ask the questions in order to get the answers. So, yeah. All right. So second quick hit question, um, and you can take this in a number of different directions. What's a myth or misconception related to the work you've done that you want to clear up? This could be something about Indiana. It could be something about economic development. It could be something about customer experience. It could be something about, uh, you know, the, the personal computing, however you want to go with this, something that you think is misunderstood that maybe deserves more attention. So I'll, I'll give you two. Let me start yeah. with the service one, and then I'll talk about my learning here in economic development. It's interesting when you engage with someone in a service role, and the job is not necessarily to solve the problem, and that should happen, but the job is actually service. I mean, that that is the job, and in so many cases, you'll go through an engagement And it will be better for both people on both sides of that service uh, experience if the person doing the job realized that that was the job, Mm -hmm. service. And then the day would feel so much better if they actually did something related to service on that. So I keep keep thinking that people who have service jobs think they're waiting for the better job. Well, that Mm -hmm. actually is the job. Mm -hmm. And when Mm -hmm. you're in it, you could really take advantage to understand people better, understand problem resolution, really understand how to communicate by looking at it as the job and being actually proud of that job. Mm -hmm. The second piece is really around the myth with economic development. So we don't hand out coupons to the state, <laughs> right? The incentives are really based around this idea of these jobs and these careers that we're going to create for generations, mm-hmm. not just for tomorrow, but for generations. Because, you know, my son bought his first home in Fort Wayne. Mm-hmm. My daughter hopefully will also stay in Indiana, which um, I'm trying to convince her of that right, right now. I think she's almost there. This idea that um, whatever we do 
it's really bigger than us. Mm-hmm. And we're very intentional about the types of businesses that we incentivize to mm. come to the state. And I don't think everybody realizes that. Yeah. And these could be careers and companies around the most interesting things with agriculture, with life sciences, with innovation, technology. To study our state and become a student of Indiana, you realize there's so much depth here. Mm-hmm. It, it is so robust. We just need to continue to invest in those types of jobs. Yeah. All right. Great. Last one. Um, what's, what is something you use in your work? It could be a tool. could be a trick. could be a hack. could be an app. It doesn't have to be technology, but something that you use that you think deserves a little more appreciation, something that helps you get your work done and helps you stay on schedule. It's interesting because I thought about what a good answer to this question would be, and there's so many different things that I use, but compartments is the best way I could talk about All this. Right. So compartments. So this past weekend was a holiday weekend, Yep. and I did compartmentalize. I literally did not look at my work mm-hmm. phone yep. or computer for two and a half days, right? Yeah. So getting very good at being in those compartments. Mm-hmm. When if I'm having dinner with my family or last week we had a wedding, I'm completely all in on that. Yeah. So being narrow and focused, uh, speaking with you right now, I'm thinking about nothing else mm-hmm. but this opportunity to tell the story. So I don't think we get a lot of credit for being in compartments and compartmentalizing because multitasking was all the rage there for sure. years. Let's and, do- and still is in many respects, yeah. Right. But I do think when you can narrow in and focus, mm-hmm. you can go a long way. Yeah. So that piece is one I've started to use um, in, in a way. The other thing is I tend to write things down to avoid them being in my head. Mm-hmm. So I'm then unable to put things in compartments. But Whoever you're engaged with, I see the best leaders fully dedicated to that conversation or that focus and not necessarily multitasking. Yeah, well, I, I agree with that 100%, but I want to play devil's advocate for a second to, to help people, I think, understand the point. You know, when you get away from work for, I think you said, two and a half mm-hmm. days, how does that make you more productive? You know, what, what does that do to make you better at your job when you're actually away from your job? When I was early in my career at McDonald's Corporation, they took me through some training through Franklin Covey, and I learned the technique called sharpen the saw. Mm -hmm. And I said, I don't understand the concept. Shouldn't you just be cutting down the trees? Like, what do you mean sharpen (laughs) the saw? And I started to understand that to be more effective, you actually have to stop doing the job that you're in. So in this case, Mm -hmm. you know, cutting down trees. Take time to sharpen that saw, mm-hmm. actually get yourself more skilled, more honed, and then come back to the job. You'll actually be more effective. Yeah. So what a lot of folks don't realize is that when Franklin Covey training taught me that there was quadrant one, which a lot of folks operate in, urgent and important. Yep. Not everything can be urgent and important. Yeah. But there's this beautiful quadrant two, which yeah. is important but not urgent. Mm-hmm. I spent I try to move my teams more into that area mm-hmm. to the planning. Yeah. But that quadrant four, which is not urgent, not important. <laughs> yeah. Once in a while you need that. Yeah. And it's either downtime, it's either meditating, it's exercising. My daughter and I did a 5K last week here in Fort Wayne. It was called Race for the Warriors. Yeah. They shut down the airport runways yeah. and we were able to yeah. run on the uh, runways. That was amazing. I know that there's probably a million things I could have been yeah. working on, but at that moment, that was my sharpen the saw. Yeah, well, and it's 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 a cliche, but it happens to be true that I find that 
one of the best ways for me to solve a problem is to get away from the problem and go do something else. And then almost without exception, it might be an hour later, it might be five hours later, that an idea comes to me. Or sometimes I realize that it's not as important as I thought it was. Maybe I should do something else entirely. Yeah, just stepping away from that makes sense. I used to do that when I would try to learn a song on the piano. So I can't read music really well and I would struggle. After I would walk away from the song and I would come back, I felt like I could play it much easier. It's the same concept of that sharpen the saw. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So that's that's the advice is sometimes when you have a problem and you can't figure something out, get away from it for a little bit and then come back and maybe it will have figured itself out for you. All right. Well, Selena, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. Thanks for all the work you do in the community and with the IEDC. We appreciate having you on as a guest. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. And thanks to everyone who took the opportunity to listen to this episode of the Asher Marketing Podcast. We'll be back next time with another great guest, and we hope you'll join us then.